Support for Meaningful Conversations comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website. You can start with a blank slate or choose from over 500 designer-made templates. With the world's most innovative drag-and-drop website builder, you can customize anything you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website, so create yours today Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash Meaningful Conversations to get 10% off. I'm Maria Shriver, and this is Meaningful Conversations. On every episode, we'll take a journey into the lives of inspiring, thoughtful, thought-provoking people. People who are smart, spirited, and spiritual people who have done extraordinary things to make a positive impact on our world. These are people I respect and admire, people who inspire me. I want them to share their stories, their experiences, their wisdom, and their feelings with you. I hope we can come together in community to reflect on the issues and topics that we're all thinking about, but no one seems to be talking about. I hope that you're inspired to have more meaningful conversations with the people in your life. Have you ever stopped to think about the ingredients in the beauty or skin products you use every day? I have to admit, I never really thought twice about it myself, at least not until I met Greg Renfro. Greg is a friend and someone I like to call a female business warrior. As the founder of the company Beauty Counter, Greg is on a mission to get toxic chemicals and harmful ingredients out of the products we use. She's a mom like me and like many of you, and she's also built a movement of women for women. And she's built a movement of women who are going to Washington and pushing back against the beauty industry. And she's trying to build a company for all of us because she believes that we all deserve better. All right, so I'm here talking with my friend, but that's not why she's here, because she's my friend. She's here because she's an architect of change, Greg Renfrew, who started Beauty Counter. And if you don't know what Beauty Counter is, you should know what Beauty Counter is, because it's revolutionizing the makeup industry. It's clean beauty. And she has been an advocate uh, for changing the rules around what we put on our faces. And she has built an army of really dedicated, inspired, rabble-rousers, women who are making their own way by selling the products and really, I think, will change what we put on our face. So welcome, Greg. And this is called uh, Meaningful Conversation. So let me begin, as I do with everybody, to ask where you find your meaning in life and do you feel like you're living a meaningful life? You know, it's funny you say that when I, I, I have shared with people recently that when I turned 40, I thought, you know, have I really done what I can do on this earth? Have I, if I died tomorrow, would I have achieved all that I could? Would I have left the earth a little bit, you know, world a little bit better than when I came into it? And I don't think I really felt like I was there 
there yet. I mean, yes, I had a, I was married and I had children, but I feel now in my life that I find a lot of a lot of meaning and a lot of joy through my work with Beauty Counter because I not not only do I do I have a lot of you know passion and joy and love for my children and my husband, but also to be able to be working on something that I'm so deeply passionate about that I believe really can make an impact in the world for many generations to come. I think that to me is leading a meaningful and purposeful life, and I don't think that. At this stage of the game, not 40 anymore, <laughs> now that I've turned 50, I feel like now I feel like I am doing things that I think are really important. So what I love about that answer is that at some point you stepped back and took stock of your life and said, you know, I have a wonderful husband. I have great children. And that is, you know, such an important part of both of our lives, right? But you said, you know, I want to do something in addition to. I I think there's a bigger path for me or an additional path for me. And so many people go, I want to have purpose. I want to have meaning, but I don't know how to get it. How did you get it? I think, it, you know, it's an interesting question because one of the things I've been talking about a lot, my theme of the year, yeah. I've had this theme of the year for everyone that's within the beauty counter community, but also for myself, which is, it's, I've, I'm focusing on two things, confidence and conversations. And I think I oh, found... Good. conversations. <laughs> yeah. Meaningful conversations. Yeah, meaningful conversations. On... <laughs> so this has been the, my theme of, of 2019 is confidence and conversations. I, I bring this up because I think that so many people do want things, especially women, but women and men, they want they want purpose or they want to explore a new job opportunity. They want to do something beyond the home or they or they, they don't want to have children or they do and they're, they're scared and they don't, they lack confidence. And so I think for me, I started because I started having having conversations. I started asking a lot of questions. Even though I didn't have answers, I sought them out. And, you know, the, the path to Beauty Counter was not, you know, it wasn't an immediate idea and I had everything all at once. It was a it was a series of incidents over several years and a number of meaningful conversations with people that I respected that led me to where I ultimately went, which was to, to start Beauty Counter. And even though I was scared to death at the time, I sort of dug deep and had the confidence to to forge ahead and start. And that's something I'm trying to impart on people who may lack that in their lives a little bit. I think, though, that what you also do is you kind of step back with yourself often. So you're leading this company. It's successful. It's creative. It's making an impact. And yet you still step back and go, like, is there more? I come up with a theme. I'm constantly checking in with myself about how can I do something better? What have I learned? Where am I going? I think that that's an important thing. People think sometimes like, oh, I'm just successful and I'll just keep going. But you're constantly doing that. Right. I do think there's a lot of sex self-exploration that goes through, that goes into leading a purposeful life. And, you know, I, you know, we all know that life ebbs and flows. You have good days and you have bad days. Things are, you know, on the surface can seem extremely successful and yet you can feel really insignificant or you can feel lonely. You can go through rough patches in your relationships. I've, I've, I'm going through all those things all the time. And so I'm constantly evaluating, you know, I've sought your advice at times to try to figure out all right, what's next and how do I do a little bit of self-reflection to to get the confidence and the energy to keep going and to and to improve myself as a person. You talked you just said an important word I think you said sometimes I feel what I'm doing is insignificant or I feel insignificant. And I want to explore that a little bit because I think people would be like what? How could she feel insignificant? How could she feel like she's running a company? She has a handsome husband, she has kids. Doesn't that look perfect? And I'm always trying to 
tell people that it's never what it always seems, that it's human to feel like, wait a minute, I feel insignificant here. How can that be with you? I think that one, I think I'm not one to take, I don't often take moments to congratulate myself on whatever success, you know, success means a lot of different things, you know, different things to different people. I do often feel insignificant because I think, wow, well, I have, you know, 40,000 women who are part of this army of women and men who are changing the beauty industry, but why isn't it 400,000 people? How do we reach more people? How do we lead more people to a better place? How do we get safer products into more people's hands? I'm constantly, you know, sort of competing with myself to do more, to, to reach more, to have greater impact. I think partly for me it's because I do feel inherently that I have I have a little kernel of something inside me that makes me feel like I could I can do more. And I'm also not very good at taking the moment to either pat myself on the back or, or oftentimes others. And that's something that I'm working on is to take those moments to say, wow, that was a big moment for us as a team. So you know, it, it is, it isn't, it seems, what, what it's, you know, you know this. So you and I have had this conversation. Yeah. What looks, what everything looks like on the surface is not always what it feels inside. So I want to pat Greg on the back because um, I'm a big believer in supporting other women. And she's been really supportive of the women's Alzheimer's movement, supportive of me as a friend. And I think when I saw the piece in the New York Times the other day writing about the state of our cosmetics and the lack of oversight, the lack of safety. I took a moment to say, like, at a girl, because you've been out there talking about this and all the women who sell Beauty Counter, who descend on Washington to advocate and be activists, which is really hard work, since I do it as well. It's hard work. And so did you take a moment that, I saw it on your Instagram, so I know you took a second, but to say to yourself, like, we're a part of this, and this is what we want people to know, and this is where we're going. That was one of those, I, I've had a few moments since I started Beauty Counter that I've had those sort of, those moments in time where you think, wow, like your eyes well up with tears, and you think that you actually are making a difference. And for sure, when I opened up that that section of the New York Times to see this editorial staff had written this article that was speaking to everything we stand for and everything that we've pioneered and worked hard. Yes, I did. And I thought it was what was amazing was to see our, you know, our consultants and all of the fearless leaders within our organization embrace that and, and, and give them a bit of confidence that yeah. what they're doing is important and people are hearing us and seeing us and, and we're, we're seen. And that felt really, really good. So let's talk a little bit about what was in that editorial for people who did not see it and who for people who this conversation might be brand new. Yes. And so let's talk about what you think were the two or three most important things in that editorial and the two or three most important things that you want people to know that are what we're putting on our skin. And she's been really helpful to me in that, as has my daughter, Christina and Catherine. But tell tell people what are the three most important things they should know right now. I think what, what people typically don't don't realize. So I think in general, there's an incredible lack of awareness around personal care cosmetics because people think that the FDA, like it does in the food industry, has the ability to protect the American consumer. And the reality of the situation, and it's pointed out in this article, is that we have laws dating back 80 years that are insufficient. We have chemicals of concern in the products we use every day. Pause. Just repeat that. Chemicals of concern in the products that we use every day. So what you are putting on your face, in your hair, on your body is not up to date. 
with what we know. So that's really important. It is really important. So I think for a brief moment in time, when FDR passed the Federal Food, Drugs, and Cosmetics Act back in 1938, Americans probably were protected. But since then, we've introduced over 80,000 chemicals into commerce, not just in skincare and cosmetics, yes. but in, into commerce, of which less than 10% have ever been tested for safety on human health. And the FDA is currently... It's not screening chemicals prior to them hitting the shelves, and they don't have the ability to recall product. So they, they in this article, they spoke of a of a hair care company that was right. ca causing alopecia and burning people's scalps. They've had over twenty thousand customer, you know, um, issues over this, and yet the FDA cannot recall the product, and the company continues to sell the product. That is what I want people to understand: that what the label says or what the FDA is doing is not sufficient information, it's not, it's not protecting you. So I think what was interesting to me, and I underlined this, the FDA's oversight of the cosmetic industry remains astoundingly limited. Companies don't have to report problems or adverse events that consumers relate to them. I think that's super important. The FDA also can't ensure the safety of imported cosmetics, which have doubled in volume in the past decade. The agency inspects less than 1% of the 3 million or so cosmetic shipments that come in every year. That's incredible. And so they also talk about it's particularly alarming given that some of the panel's conclusions have been at odds with those of impartial government entities like the National Toxicology Program. So this is a really kind of mind-blowing, I use that when I talk about Alzheimer's, yes. but it's really mind-blowing how little oversight is over this industry. And what Greg and all the people in Beauty Counter are trying to do is bring safety to what we put on our faces. So that requires you to go to Washington to get bills passed. But in the meantime, what you're doing is putting products out there that we could at least knowingly put on our face and our eyes and our bodies that are safer than other products that are out there. Yes. I mean, we always say that, you know, we've focused on three things since I started the company. We educate, we formulate, and we advocate. And it is that trifecta that is powered through people, our movement. And I think that I was recently in a conversation with the head of one of the largest you know, beauty conglomerates in, in worldwide, and they were talking about clean beauty being the future. And I said, yeah. no, it is, it's not only the future, it's here and it's, it's now. It's present. And it's not ever going to go back. This is not a fad or a trend. This is something that is important for the health. I always say this isn't a women's makeup issue. This is an American health crisis. I mean, this is, it's not the only thing that's causing these health issues. You and I both know that. But it, these chemicals are contributing to all of the health issues we face as a nation. Infertility, neurotoxicity, reproductive toxicity, you know, endocrine disruption, cancer, all these things are coming, and these are, this is one thing that, armed with information, people have the opportunity to make better choices. But if we don't change the laws and we don't educate people, they are unknowingly, at times, putting themselves in harm's way. And so what do you think it is that, because so many people make so much money off of women with these cosmetic shampoos, and so many women, particularly young girls, also going into these beauty stores, right, slathering stuff all over themselves, not knowing and us, I think, believing that what they're buying and putting on their face and their eyes and their legs and everything is safe. And when you bring this message, are, are people like, what? 
You know, it's interesting because I think that most people with whom I come in contact are relatively, you know, they're they're outraged when they learn this. I think that the the what what are they outraged about? Their lack of oversight. That, 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 that they thought. I'll, I'll use myself as an example. When I before I started Beauty Counter, I had had two of my three children, and I was using I won't use the brand name, but a natural foaming oatmeal body wash. And I here's I thought I was doing all the right things. I was going to you know local farmers market, shopping organic. I was you know using safer household cleaning products and taking my shoes off at the door. I thought I was protecting my babies, and I went to the Environmental Working Group Skin Deep database, which is a database that for those listening, if you don't know, it is a great place to start because it talks about you know, what chemicals are in products. And you can look at all the traditional brands. I think they have over 100,000 brands there. And you can look wow. up what's in your Johnson & Johnson or your L'Oreal or your Maybelline, whatever brand you might be using today, and it'll tell you what's going on. Anyway, I looked it up, and it was an 8 out of 9 for toxicity. And here I am every night putting my children in that bubble bath, thinking that I'm using natural oatmeal. And I was furious to say the least and that was just the beginning for me of realizing that you know we're being we're being misled as consumers and what's too bad about the beauty industry is that we all as women want to look and feel our best and beautiful who doesn't want to feel that way but but there the whole industry has been built on secrets and those secrets part of that big secret is that those secrets are is that our products are being made with some pretty harmful chemicals and so when i talk to people there are some people that will roll their eyes, and that's one of the reasons why I was so happy about the New York Times, yeah. you know, is sort of saying in an unbiased way, look, this is a real deal. Mm -hmm. But most people are really upset, and then they feel guilty. And I always say to people, you shouldn't feel guilty because it wasn't your fault that those products were put on the shelves, and it wasn't your fault that you didn't know that there were chemicals of concern. But now you know, and what I'm going to ask you to do is to pay it forward by opening up your mouth and sharing this, having meaningful conversations with people, letting other people know so that we can continue to spread the word about these chemicals. Don't go away. We'll have more of the conversation in just a moment. But first, let's talk about one of our sponsors. This episode of Meaningful Conversations is brought to you by Warby Parker, Warby Parker was founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal to create boutique quality eyewear at a revolutionary price point. Prescription eyewear shouldn't cost you more than a plane ticket or a new iPhone. And by circumventing traditional channels and engaging with customers directly through their website and retail stores, Warby Parker is able to provide high quality, good looking prescription eyewear at a fraction of the price. Glasses and prescription lenses start at just $95 on the Warby Parker website and in retail stores, and even include anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings. So head on over to warbyparker.com today for access to their free home try-on program. Pick out five pairs of glasses, and Warby Parker will send them and give you five days to try them, all with no obligation to buy. Shipping is also free and includes a prepaid return shipping label. Woo, that's good. So head on over to warbyparker.com slash meaningful for your free home try-on program. Now let's get back to the conversation. So 
So what are you trying to do in Washington as you when you land in Washington with the other women that are, you know, out there selling your products? And I what I also really love about Beauty Counter is that it's allowing women to make money in an independent way and also raise their kids or be caregivers to aging parents and manage their own schedules. I'm such a big advocate of that. And so when you and your fellow advocates land in Washington and hit Capitol Hill, what are you trying to get done? So we have not, as I said earlier, we've not updated a major federal law uh, regulating the cosmetics industry since 1938. Yeah. We have been working tirelessly for the past six years in Washington to urge members of Congress to take action. There has been bipartisan support of an update. You know, so to, to, they, I think everyone's, I think both sides of the aisle agree that cosmetic reform is necessary. Okay. But where we don't agree right now and where we're continuing to try to open up the lines of communication is on whether, you know, state preemption, is what's, what's federal, what's, you know, with California here in this state, we've been lucky because we have Prop 65. We have, we have more regulation in this state than in others. But I think we need bipartisan support to say it's time for, you know, updated laws. We need the, the FDA to be able to take action when there right. are, when there's something harmful in a product that we're using. So that means that also that we have to kind of, as the, the article said, you know, it needs more funding, right? The for cosmetics sure. arm of it to, to actually perform oversight. And one of the things that the article speaks of is that you have the big companies that are advocating for cosmetic reform and some of the smaller ones that are against it. And that's not entirely factual. There are some of the smallest companies that are worried if there was some taxation or some different guidelines that it would make it difficult. But I think they've actually have, they've created some workarounds for companies that are doing, say, less than $250,000 wouldn't be, you know, having to pay any fees. But the large, the large companies, I think, have realized and resigned themselves to the fact. Some of them are proactive, but many of them realize this is coming, so it's easy for them to make changes. But I do think there's a way you can do it to get bipartisan support where all companies can win and do well while doing good for the consumer. So we have, you said this isn't a kind of necessarily a woman's movement. It's not, it's not a makeup movement. It's a health movement. We have so many women running for president now. Has anybody contacted you, picked up this issue, said, I want to, you know, be a supporter of yours? So we've had a number of meetings over the years with Senator Collins and Senator Feinstein. Um, they have, you know, championed this Personal Care Product Safety Act, and we have worked closely with them. They have not been able to get it over the finish line as of yet, obviously, but they have been working tirelessly on this issue. I do think some of the other uh, members of Congress have been supporters of ours, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily feel that a lot of them have actually taken this up as an issue. They might take up toxic chemicals. I mean, certainly Kirsten Gillibrand has taken up, you know, toxic chemicals for children and things like that. But I would love us to look at, you know, this on a more macro level to say, look, this is, this is part of it. So that's a no. That's an answer. That Maria can say that. I, yeah, I can so say that. that's a no, which is kind of surprising to me, actually, that we have several women running the makeup industry, cosmetic industry, makes billions, billions, BBB, off of women who rely on government. And once again, I'm not saying this because it's a woman's issue, but women often are there at the forefront and bring attention to these issues because it's affecting them. And what do you think is the reason, when you mentioned Senator Collins, who I've worked with a lot on Alzheimer's, you mentioned Senator Feinstein, that they haven't been able, that's a Democrat and a Republican, that they haven't been able to get it over the finish line? Who's blocking that? Is that the cosmetics industry? 
Well, the, the, the cosmetics industry is a self-regulated industry, and they spend a lot of money lobbying, and they're not right. they're, they're going to tell you that all the ingredients are safe and that there's nothing to worry about. We've come up against them in the Personal Care Products Council before. I think that, again, I think where the, the issues, where we've kind of gotten to a standstill is over state preemption. Who has the ability? Is the federal government's FDA the holy grail of research, or are independent labs or states able to say this chemical is a chemical of concern or it is not. Who actually gets to make that final decision? I think that's one of the things that has been challenging. I do want people to understand, though, it does this, this issue does have bipartisan support. It's not about whether you're a Democrat or Republican. We all have been touched directly or indirectly by these health issues, and everyone right. agrees that something needs to change. It's just the way in which it has changed has not yet been resolved. So in the meantime, you can put things on your body and on your face that are clean or cleaner than what's out there as this kind of makes its way through the halls of Congress, right? And let's talk a minute about, you know, there's so many women who want to start businesses, right? Who want to be their own bosses because corporate America doesn't fit their mm -hmm. life and or they may have a mission that isn't been realized by anybody out there. And what would you tell them are your three biggest mistakes? I mean, I think the, the, the thing that I probably did early on, and I continue to do at time, is, is doubting myself. I think, mm -hmm. I, I really feel like, I want to say to every woman, you've got this. Like, you can yeah. do this. You don't need someone else to validate it or to make it happen for you. You have everything you need to be successful as an individual. And we women in general tend to doubt ourselves more than men. Right. And I, I do find that I've made that mistake. And when I look at the problems that we've had with Beauty Counter over the years, so often it's because I doubted my instincts and I allowed someone else to put their agenda in front of mine. And that, that's something that I don't do anymore, but it, it's a mistake that I've made over the past. I do think also... Um, when it comes to starting a business, if you require funding, if you don't have enough money to start whatever business you're right. starting on your own is is partners is being sort of desperate for the money or partnering with the wrong person for, you know, I would say like to try to stay, try to avoid the friends and family. I've made that mistake. But also if Wait, you are... Say that. Do, try to avoid friends, like, working I, with friends and family or asking friends and family for money. Both. both. I do think that I, I've made the mistake. I lost one of my best friends through, through Beauty Counter, through uh, having her work with me and then having to let her go. And I think that at the end of the day, there are a lot of people mm. and you don't necessarily need to work with your friends. You can become friends with the people with whom you work, but I don't think you need to start with your friends because because if it doesn't work out, you've lost a friendship. And I don't think that that's worth it because that's one of the most, you know, it's, it's something we treasure, right, as our right, friends. Right. I also think in terms of money, it just be, creates an, a, a weird feeling amongst friends if you owe that person $50,000 because you borrowed it to start, you, you know, your, right. your floor, you know, whatever is your flower arranging business or your whatever business it is, I think that can be very difficult. And so there are, you know, even though it's more difficult to get money from banks today or from, you know, other partners, I just think there are other avenues than going to your friends. And so, and I think when you do choose investors, if you're on a bigger scale where you're looking at the financial community, is really looking at them and interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. I, I see so many entrepreneurs out there that are desperate for the money because they know they need the money to fuel the growth of their business, but they're not discerning in who they get that money from. And it can really hurt you. It hurt me in my first company, The Wedding List, and made me prematurely sell it because I had the wrong financial partner. And so, so how, how do you, so I think that's all really good advice, particularly which I hadn't heard about the friends, uh, not hiring your friends. And so many kind of people rely on their friends to 
believe in them, to confirm that their idea is good. So that just seems like a natural thing that you do. But when you say you, you got the wrong financial partner, like how do you know? Isn't that just kind of you have to learn that kind of by doing it? Yes, but I think that, you know, so I think you can use your friends in your business to be advocates, to be advisors to you, to help you without having them be your business partner. And it's not to say that it never works. It does yeah. work from time to time, but but oftentimes it doesn't. And I think on the financial side of things, like anything else, you can interview them as much as they interview you. You can do your own due diligence. Call some people where a deal went wrong or they lost their money and say, how did that person act in that moment? How did that institution act? You know, were they good to you? Did they do they actually care about what you care about? And mm-hmm. making sure you have the confidence, going back to confidence, to say, when I started Beauty Counter, for example, and I was raising capital because we needed millions of dollars and I didn't have it. I remember saying from everyone, I'm going to take this all the way to Washington. And people used to say to me, oh, don't tell the financial investors that you want to take this to Washington. That you had a mission. Right. And I said, yeah. well, but that's part of who we are. And if they don't want to invest because I want to take this all the way to Washington, then they shouldn't be partners of mine financially. And so having that confidence to say, this is what I stand for. Look, it's Valentine's Day today as we're talking. And I, I think it's the same thing in relationships. You know, yeah. I, you know, when, when we enter into relationships, if you don't have the confidence to say, actually, I don't like skiing or I really don't like Japanese food or I yeah. hate spicy food or I like to sleep in a, you know, in a cold room and you like a hot room. If we don't have the confidence to say that going into partnership, mm-hmm. It, it, it bodes, you know, doesn't bode well for you in the long term. I think that's the same thing in business is really being upfront about what you think. More meaningful conversations in just a bit. This episode of Meaningful Conversations is brought to you by HoneyBook. Are you a small business owner? Does administrative work slow you down and get in the way of what you really love doing? If so, HoneyBook.com can help. HoneyBook was designed to help you spend less time handling administration work and more time doing what you love. The all-in-one business management platform makes it easy to streamline your process with client and calendar management tools and custom branded proposals and contracts. You even get e-signatures, generate invoices, and get paid faster, all within one online system. Over 75,000 photographers, designers, event professionals, and other solo entrepreneurs have saved hundreds, if not thousands of hours a year with HoneyBook. So if you're a creative professional, head to HoneyBook.com today and use promo code MEANINGFUL for 50% off your first year. Again, that's HoneyBook.com, promo code MEANINGFUL for 50% off your first year. Now back to the conversation. You write, you've written, uh, and I've talked a bit about kind of the difference for women as leaders to be, quote, tough or to be, you want to change that to be, quote, strong. And uh, I, I was interested in that because Amy Klobuchar, the senator, obviously just announced for president, and a lot of the stories about her is how tough and demanding, and some of them have been less less than that. As a boss, she is. How tough is it to be a female boss? I think it is difficult to be a female boss in that if you are strong and confident, opinionated, direct, it is oftentimes seen as being bitchy or rude or 
men can be strong and somehow women, that's not a positive thing. And it's, it's hard because women want to be liked. We all want to be liked, but I think that's, you know, when you say, what are the mistakes I've made? I think one of the mistakes I made was trying to keep everyone happy. I can't keep everyone happy. I need to be able to say the train's leaving the station. This is where it's going. You're either on the train with me or you're off without feeling like I'm being a jerk. I'm just being confident and clear and concise, and I think that we we applaud men for being that way oftentimes. But I think for women, it's there's a real negative stigma. I know there are people that say I'm tough or she's. God, I always hear God, Greg, you're so direct. Well, yeah, would you direct, rather? I was just you know, going to talk you're about so that. So direct, word. and I always yeah. say, but wouldn't you rather me be direct and tell you the truth than me just smiling and then Monday morning quarterbacking the the, the meeting or talking behind your back? I, I just don't understand that. I think it's better to be tr- direct. And I've worked really hard on this. I've worked with. You know, an executive coach over the years to get better about having difficult conversations, doing it with grace, but doing it, but being really firm. So you said you've worked with a coach, uh, which I think is interesting in helping you be more direct. Helping me be more direct in moments where I feel I may be perceived as being tough or rude or bitchy. Yes. Being able to navigate difficult conversations in business that allow me to let everyone understand where I'm where I'm taking the the conversation or the strategy or whatever it is and but with me feeling like I've done it in a way that's that's positive it's it's not always easy to do that I, I also work with a coach to let me understand that I'm going to disappoint people at times mm-hmm. and that's okay sometimes your growth outpaces them sometimes you have to turn your team sometimes you sometimes you can agree to disagree and and trying to be liked all the time does not make you a strong leader if you look at the strongest leaders in the world they are not always liked by everyone. You just can't be. And has that been a hard thing to wrap your own mind around not being liked as you lead? I think think that I am liked more and more because of my ability to be direct. I think when I lead with confidence, it it makes me more more likable because at least people know where they stand. I think it is hard for me still going back to what we discussed earlier, sometimes feeling insignificant or – I think sometimes in my social life it's hard for me because when I'm direct, women often aren't, especially women who are not in the in the sort of corporate workforce. And I know that that can be off-putting to people at times and that can make me feel sort of lonely. But I, at the end of the day, I'm trying to own who I am and what I'm trying to do. Let's talk about owning who you are. You just mentioned being direct and c- can often lead one to loneliness. I think one of the things we often hear stories all the time about women who kind of get are climbing, 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 and then all of a sudden they drop out. They get to the C-suite, they get to the corner office, they get to the top, and then they're like, "Mm, no, I don't like it. And uh, I've talked to a lot of women who've been in that place, and they sometimes say it's because of my children, it was because of my marriage. It was really lonely. And you and I have talked about that. And what are the realities of being a female founder? Is it lonely? For sure. For sure it's lonely. Yeah. I think I've definitely felt loneliness a lot over the last number of years. I feel incredible gratitude to be able to be in a position where I can lead and to have an impact on people's lives. But there are definitely moments where I'm lonely. I mean, being at the top of an organization is lonely in general. Who are you talking to when you're feeling scared or insecure? You you can't tell your team all the time. You know, if a, if a general's in the middle of a you know, fight in the army, they're not going to be like, I'm scared. You know, they're going to say, yeah. we're going forward, even though yeah. inside they're, you know, they're quaking. And so I think it, inherently it can be a lonely position. I do find, I do find a lot of, you know, other entrepreneurs, you know, 
know, with whom I can interact to talk about that. But I think it can be lonely in a marriage mm -hmm. or in a partnership because I think sometimes, you know, my husband, who's very successful and an amazing supporter of mine, but he doesn't necessarily go through the same paces that I do in the day. He doesn't understand yeah. the complexities. So I can't always talk to him about it. And I'm not going to bring this home to my children all the time. And then my friends, many of them are not in the workforce. They're, they're, they've chosen to be at home. And that's terrific. But it still makes it hard for me to have those conversations So what do you them. do? What do you do? Where do you go? How do you deal with that? Because we hear, you know, so much about this, quote, loneliness epidemic in our country, right? And I think it's, it's all around us. And it's not sure. just somebody who's maybe, you know, 65 and living alone. It's you. It's me. Yeah. So wh what do you rely on when you feel that kind of isolation, loneliness? I do think at the end of the day that I'm going to fall back mostly on my girlfriends. I mean, I do believe in the strength of friendship. And I do think that, you know, it's that I called you, you know, two yeah. months ago and said, I'm really, I'm really struggling right now. Can, can we talk? I think it's being able to be unapologetically relying on people from time to time. I do think that's really important. Or, or to be able to be vulnerable with people. I think one of the things you do so well, and I, and I, and I try to as well, is to be open and transparent and vulnerable and real. Mm -hmm. And to admit, you know what, I feel lonely tonight. Or, you know, can I come over to your house because I... I'm having a bad day or, you know, talking to your your partner, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend to be able to say this is – I'm struggling. I'm getting much better at that. Yeah. I've always been a very open person, but I think now, you know, I'm, I, two of my best friends are on the East Coast. You know, I moved to L.A. now almost 11 years ago, but I'm from the East Coast. And so my oldest friends are still back there, and I'll, I'll call them at all hours and say I need to chat. And I do think it's also great to find other people in your tribe, so to speak, people that are also going through some of the things you're going through, women and men. I, and right. I, I have a lot of close friendships with men as well. It's not just right. a women's thing. For me, I believe in men completely and finding those people that can be helpful to you at those moments. You believe in men so much you just started a men's line. Yes. And so that's why I think it's, as you say, this is not a women's, although women obviously buy the majority of cosmetics, but this is once again a health thing. So kind of bringing attention to men about their own health. Why do you want to do that? Because some of the statistics you were talking about with men are alarming. Yeah, I mean, I think men are 50% more, more likely to be diagnosed with cancer than women, and our sperm count has dropped, you know, 50% over the last 25 years, and it's leading to infertility and other issues. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, most people have a husband, a partner, a boyfriend, a son, a father that they love dearly, and I want to protect them as much as I want to protect women. And I, I've had so many incredible relationships with men in my life, mm -hmm. personally, professionally, that how can we leave them out of this equation? I think there's so much talk of women today, and I'm a big, I'm a very pro-women woman, but I'm also pro-men, I believe, yeah, and you and I have talked about yes, this. It's yes. not it's not about women or men. Together, we need to be talking, and we need to be supporting one another, and I think for us to have a men's line was to, to acknowledge the, the men in all of our lives, and they count too. Now, a word from our sponsor. This episode of Meaningful Conversations is brought to you by Living Proof. From frizz to damage to fullness, Living Proof products do exactly what they claim to do without using silicones, parabens, phthalates, or animal testing. Living Proof has created its line by approaching the toughest beauty challenges with technology from MIT scientists, so there's real science behind their hair products. It's no wonder they've won eight Best of Beauty Breakthrough Awards. 
Living Proof is delivering results that you can see from across the room. So head to livingproof.com meaningful today and use promo code meaningful to get a free sample of their award-winning dry shampoo with your purchase. Now let's get back to the conversation. Greg, you mentioned a lot of the chemicals that people that are in our makeups, many of which have been outlawed in Europe, that are still in the makeup that we buy today. What are some of those that people should be aware of, look out for, and know the names of? I think that there, a lot of these chemicals are very hard to look at. If you look at one thing that you can always do is go to beauty counters, never list where we list ingredients. Right, right. Uh, but I, I always say to people, if you're shopping the market, first and foremost, just the most basic thing is shop fragrance-free. Many of the most offensive of chemicals, including phthalates, are in the fragrance. And because of international IP law, companies are not, uh, they don't have to disclose these ingredients. The phthalates are the things that bind that perfume to your skin. So a lot of the most offensive endocrine disrupting chemicals are in fragrance. So that's an easy place to start. I always say to look for parabens, Mm -hmm. phthalates, those are probably the two biggest ones that we would talk about. I mean, there are PEGs, P-E-G-S. You know, those are another ones to, that I think people should look for. And also not to be not to be um, confused or, or not to believe that just something, if it says natural, doesn't mean that it's natural. So yeah. look for ingredients. Don't worry about it. If it's saying it's all natural, that means nothing in the beauty industry. So, you know, I would encourage you, go to the Neverlist. You can just download the list of ingredients, just shop the market with, and then look for those chemicals on the back of the products. And one thing Greg said to me, if you're putting perfume on, never put it on your skin. Put it on your clothes, which is what I did this morning. Good. So do you feel like on this day as you sit back, kind of, you have, you know, on Valentine's Day? And I want to say one of the reasons when I was looking at when we could do this, I thought, I'm going to ask Greg on Valentine's Day because I love her and I don't have you know, someone to spend Valentine's Day. So I said, that'll actually get my day off to a good start. Oh, thank you. That's so, a nice thing to but, say. But uh, it's true. We should, we should go out because my husband's not here. <laughs> so we should, <laughs> so should, we should uh, have a Galentine or whatever the ga- Yeah, I think that's, uh, I got a couple of those Galentine things today. But, you know, as you kind of sit back and you look at what you're sitting on top of, right, when you think of yourself five years out, is there a, like, point where you're like, I want to hit that mark and I will then feel that I made the difference that I wanted to make? That's such a good question, Maria. I think that I think I have an end goal in that I want to see these laws change. That is incredibly important to me. That doesn't mean that the day that we pass a law, first of all, even if we do pass you know, updated, comprehensive cosmetic laws, it won't be enough for me. That's only the beginning. I'm only scratching the surface. We need to hit the supply chain. There's so much more to do. But I think that is one thing that I would like to see through. I would like to see the United States change the laws governing the cosmetics industry. And I think then the question becomes, and I think the thing that I am working on, and you and I have discussed this, is how do I take the success that I've, you know, garnered in the past 30 years or so, and how do I continue to use that to serve others? I mean, I believe in servant leadership, and I believe in making the world better. I feel like I've been given gifts, and I need to impart those gifts to make other people's lives better. And so I think 
I'm going to continue to do this. I mean, I, I feel like I've just barely begun to hit my stride and I'm just getting going. And I mean, I think you're the same way. We, there's so much to be done and, and I'm excited to keep doing it. I think that's the great way to wrap this up. Servant leadership. We're all capable of that. We're all capable of having these what kind of meaningful conversations, learning from others who are really open and honest and vulnerable enough to share their kind of what they've learned along the way. And that will help somebody else that you've never met, never heard of, that woman, that guy. And what I've always say also about when women lead, the big difference is that we should lead inclusively, and that includes other genders. And if we want to, if we say we didn't like the way men led by not including us at the table, we shouldn't do the same thing. Right. And so I, I love that you've started a men's line as the mother of two boys, the sister of four boys. I mean, I think it's really important to, you know, female founders, female leaders should be inclusive leaders. I agree completely. I think it's an incredibly important. So if you don't know Beauty Counter, please check it out. They can also become, you know, members of Beauty Counter, right? Do you, you... For sure. We are always, uh, you know, encouraging people to help us build our movement, whether that's through, you know, ad- helping us with our advocacy efforts, whether that's buying products or whether that's joining us as a Beauty Counter consultant. There's an incredible business opportunity. And I, and I love seeing women thrive while doing either, you know, a full-time professional job and doing this as their sort of side gig as the gig economy or seeing a woman who's at home being able to participate in something beyond her home that, that helps put meaningful financial contributions into her household. It's exciting. Beauty Counter. It's a movement, and Greg is at the top of it and also at the bottom of it working, as my dad said, when he started the Peace Corps, he took the top position and put it at the bottom and put the what you call consultants at the top. So you're both at the top and the bottom moving those uh, who are working with you forward to the top and also at the top. So thank you. Thanks for for having me. My friend, Greg Renfro. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Meaningful Conversations. If you're looking for more inspiration and words of wisdom, then please sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Sunday Paper. It's free and it's good. So just visit my website, mariashriver.com to subscribe. I hope you'll also check out my book, I've Been Thinking, and its new companion, I've Been Thinking, The Journal. Like this podcast, those books were created to help you on your path to a meaningful life. More details on my website about those as well. And thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to being in community with you again right here each Monday.